I just love our music. <laughs> hey, security peeps. We are live with another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity. It, it is CISO Thursdays. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. And I'm here with a phenomenal CISO today, Chris Russell. How are you, Chris? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So um, we are going to have James Azar chime in a little bit later. Unfortunately, Naomi cannot be here today and Chris Folan may or may not be here either. So you have another, a new Chris and me, and we are going to just talk about what Chris has been doing in his career and kind of get into our, our different hot topics when it comes to, you know, what we can do to help more people break into the industry. Some of the challenges folks have been having, some of the things that you've been seeing, Chris, since you recently came in, um, have only been in the industry for five years and have had a meteoric rise to CISO. So I can't wait to talk to you about that. Before we get started, though, I want everyone to subscribe, 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 subscribe to our YouTube channel. Have to say that every week or else James will kill us. No, seriously, <laughs> subscribe to our YouTube channel, please, as we continue to build this platform. So, Chris, talk to us about your experience five years in the industry, you know, you're, you're like one of our new, you would be on both podcasts. You'd be on the regular breaking into and yep. the CISO. So this is a really, really interesting discussion that I think we're going to be having today. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, definitely been fortunate and, and, and had mentors that pulled me up and got me somewhere much faster. But uh, yeah, I originally was uh, working in military intelligence when I was younger after college. Um, was a human intelligence collector. So I was running like source operations. I learned Arabic. I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. And um, I really enjoyed that job. It felt meaningful. I was, you know, supporting good things happening, keeping people safe. Um, but I learned a lot of valuable lessons that I've, that I've actually been able to use, I think, later on that really helped me in my career. And a couple of those are, you know, understanding the human aspect of interactions. Like, you know, I was, you know, I'm sitting down talking to people, figuring out how honest they're being with me. That, that really translated over to really wanting to be an honest person. Because I feel like the more honest you are, the, you know, the, the quicker you're going to get to problem solving things the real way. The more you're kind of hiding your flaws and hiding what you're not good at and covering up for stuff, the longer you're going to drop maybe some of the issues you have. So that was one of the things that kind of helped me early on. Uh, but another thing was, is, you know, in intelligence, you know, my job eventually became very much, hey, get your guy to put this key logger on that system. You know, I would, you know, before it was get him to get information. Now it's just, he has placement access, go get him, put it in that system so he can start pulling that off of it. And start realizing, okay, that's, that's the future. That's, you know, that's where we need to be. That's where I need to be. That's where the problems are going to be. Like the human side is always going to have a piece. Um, but the systems where all the data is, that's where people really want to get to. So I'm like, well, I need to pivot to that. When I get out of this whole Intel thing, which kept me overseas, I mean, I literally was in the Middle East for six plus years. Um, I'm like, I need to get back home and have a job that I can do in the United States. And so I had this whole plan, had to do the whole self-study thing. You know, you know, I, I've been setting up networks, secure networks. So like, it wasn't like tech stupid, but definitely, you know, not any advanced training. And it was a lot of, you know, just understanding on the job and learning on the job. Um, 
And the other thing I learned in the military and, and, and the whole Intel thing that I'm, I'm now seeing, and, and the reason why I'm actually probably here talking is that I learned that, uh, you know, when we, when we look at what we call bad actors in, in cybersecurity or bad actors, you know, terrorists or whatever is around the world, there's always a condition that gets people to be in that situation. Yes, there are evil people in the world, but more than more, more and more likely, there are bad conditions that make pretty good people make not great decisions or like, you know, have you ever sat down and asked yourself, what would you do to feed your family and give them clothes? Like what decisions would you make when all doors are closed and there's no options and there's no jobs, there's no nothing. And what we're seeing right now is people are turning to ransomware gangs and all sorts of other hacking techniques to try and just get some money. Um, and so, you know, this is a, this is the thing I, I really realized that you need to like look at the personal side of this and it helps you on the, the security side, understanding what you're actually dealing with on the other end, as, as opposed to we're assuming everyone's some Russian or Chinese actor with state sponsoring. No, some of these are just gangs of people who are who have recruited people who need money to survive, you know, and there's going to be lots more of them if we keep having really poor economic conditions and, and disparity of wealth. So right. we need more blue teamers. We need more people defending the networks. And that, that kind of brings me to the problem I've really identified re- recently is that uh, most people coming into the, the cybersecurity these days, they're faced with, oh, here, you want to go to red team? Burp suite, you know, uh, you know, any of these tools, Metasploit, they're free, they're open source, there's a million courses on it, people teach you how to do it. You know, you can get all the red team training you want for nothing. And, and it's good and it's useful and it's a good foundation. If you want to go blue team, you got to pay some money. You, you know, you're not going to get a, a certification from a vendor for less than $500,000 or whatnot. Right. Um, there is good training for blue teams, you know, Ranger Force, Attack IQ. There's people offering good blue team training for free. But when it talks, when, when I'm talking about something that actually qualifies you to actually configure a firewall or deploy an endpoint agent or put a SIM together, like tell your employer, hey, I can come in and do this today. Those are the vendor certs and those are all hidden behind paywalls right now. And those are mm-hmm. only shared people and we need to open that up if we want to face this wave of you know the not good red teamers that are going to be coming our way right i know james um i'm, I'm waiting for him to jump on because this is so up his alley he talks oh, about yeah. this consistently yeah. he talks well I'll, about- I'll, uh, I'll i'll kill some time talking about me which is my least interesting subject i've never already <laughs> talked about a little bit but anyway my transition was 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 not you know, anything epic, but yeah, I got back, I did some self-training, um, you know, went, got a master's, went, got some cert- certifications, got a job as like a SOC analyst slash engineer. Um, and, you know, I had a master's degree and I thought, okay, this is going to open doors. Like, and everyone else realized it doesn't open anything without experience, but I had this one Palo Alto certification I did on my own. And I literally got contacted by uh, what ended up being a life-changing firm to offer me a job to be a resident engineer for that firewall and a really big project. Mm. Uh, That one cert that cost me maybe a hundred dollars changed the trajectory of my life more than my master's, like a hundred percent. Yeah. That one cert, because I could tell, (laughs) I could tell the the, the people who wanted me, I can configure that firewall today. I can do what you need me to do today. I don't need additional training. It's not, I don't conceptually know how to do it. I don't know the, I don't just know the concepts behind it. I literally can get in, and do what you need done and commit it in production and it won't be a problem. Right. And so that, that got me into a, a managed detection and response firm that invested a lot of training in me. 
it opened up all the doors for all those vendor training. So every endpoint, every SIM, every firewall you can imagine, I got the training and certification on it. And I took advantage of it. You know, that was a personal choice. Not everyone does. I took, you know, I took advantage of every bit of training I could get. And I didn't realize how close that was to everyone else in the, in the community. I thought all the customers would have this, there'd be other ways to get it. I didn't realize that it was just as a partner. I was the only one, you know, one of a few small people that were getting that. So, you know, a couple of years, you know, I'm director, then I'm VP because, um, you know, I've done this training. I can do the work when my, when my, when my people working for me, tell me they have a problem. I'm not just like, well, what do you think the solution is? I actually can get in and let's figure this. Okay. Well, this configures wrong and that's, that rule's not right. And this cert's being blocked and we would work through things. And when you can able to troubleshoot like that, then in the tech world, you know, you, you get, you know, raises and promotions. And whatnot. So, you know, I got, I got moved up to VP pretty quick uh, again, because I had great mentors uh, over at critical start. Uh, if anyone in the industry has ever heard of Jordan Moriello, um, he's done more for me than anyone else in his career. He takes the time to teach anyone. He teaches malware reversal classes. The guy is just very smart, and very humble. And we need more people like that. And we don't have them in an industry. So I want to be someone like that. <laughs> That's awesome, Chris. I, I wanted to ask you, well, before we jump into that, I see some cool comments here from some of our favorites. So I'm going to put, put it out there. If you, anyone that's here, I forgot to ask you all, let us know where you are chiming in from. So um, Terrence is here. Hey, Terrence, these are all our regulars. <laughs> <laughs> Clinton Walker says, hello, Renee. Hi, Chris. Greetings from the UK. Hey, Clinton Walker. He was on my, he was on the live last night. He's back again. I love it. And then Zoe says she wants to be a blue teamer. And Zoe, we are so excited. She got her first IT job. Woohoo! I just want to be a cheerleader and pat people on the back and say, awesome. It's you know? so awesome. Well, I love it. to see this. The people who've been watching us and getting this yeah. advice and listening to CISOs and listening to us. And so, Zoe, you have to tell us what you're going to be doing in your new job. So exciting. Um, Chris, you made a comment that made made me think about what a person, well, I'll take a couple steps back, specifically when it comes to certifications. You know that you probably get that question thousands of times. People come on here, they ask a lot of questions around certs. What cert should I get? What cert should I get? What cert should I get? And it's so interesting that you said you went and you got the master's, which I think people tend to do as well. So they get a master's and they go, oh, everything's going to open up for yeah, me. Yeah, they get job offers and they'd be like, have you done anything? Right. <laughs> I know conceptually how it all works. <laughs> right. So that's a standard, you know, you go, you get your master's in cyber. Okay. All these opportunities are going to show up and they don't, nope. um, which is another, you know, for another day, another conversation. But people talk about, certifications and which ones are more important than others. And as, as we know, they change. What made you go and get this little hundred dollar cert? Like what did you look across the landscape? Was it a fluke? What made you go after this particular certification and then use that certification to um, pretty much launch your career? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the way I looked at it is you have to kind of know where you want to work a little bit, you know, I know it's hard to pick the exact company, but like try and narrow it down to a couple companies or verticals or something. And then you got to, you know, unfortunately figure out what are they running in their environments, you know, some way, shape or form. Um, 
And you have to say, what problems do they need to solve? They need people that can run these. So if I get, so if someone's running Splunk, someone's running Carbon Black Defense, whatever it is, and you can do that, then you immediately can help them. If you can be a problem solver and help them with problems they have, they're going to bring you on their team. So it's, it's hard to give you like, this is the one magic bullet, but, but some of these major vendors are in a lot of places. So it gives you a lot of lateral you know, abilities, Palo Alto Networks, uh, Checkpoint Firewalls, Fortinets. Those three are, I don't know, 70, 80% of the firewalls out there. You get one of those three, you've got a 30% chance the org's got one and you can help with it. A lot of times in the recs, they'll tell you this, like you must have experience with Palo Alto Networks or, or something like that. They're getting a little bit more generic and people are keeping away from, you know, involving their stack and their resumes as much. But, but you still got a shot if you've kind of done your homework a little bit on like, okay, what does this job do? If this job's threat hunting, well, what query languages do I know? If you want to be a threat hunter or you want to get involved in identity access management or some sort of cloud security you know, pick a cloud, whether it's AWS, Azure, GCP, pick one and just get some expertise on it. So you can say day one, okay, I can go into your AWS environment and I can do an audit and I can figure out which S3 buckets are open. I can figure out which VPCs don't have good security groups, things like that and, and, and solve real world problems. And, and, a, right. and no one will hire you because that's what they need solved. It's real world problems, not well, conceptually, I know it's a best practice to have a 15-digit password. We need to someone who knows how to write the rule that makes it mandatory that the, the password is 15. Right. Because, you know, when we look at our breaches, like, you know, the, the pipeline, there was like some password that was like eight digits and it hadn't been changed in a while. And no one even knew. That's because someone didn't know how to set a standard a long time ago. And so right. that's what we need to, to actually solve the problems. Awesome. So Terrence says, um, CISO from Defense Security Technology Administration, Chris is spot on, be humble and doors open. Yes. Um, I, I, oh. Oh, no, go ahead. You can finish that one while we're Yeah, I was going to say, yes. Um, I, think, I think you should never feel like you made it. You, you didn't like, oh, I can relax now. you got to be a constant learner. Landscape's changing. Technology's changing. And you owe it to know it so you can help your team understand where they need to go, understand what they need to keep the speed on. So yeah, you have to be humble. You need you need friends. You don't need enemies. You know we need to we need to band together here. We're about to see a wave of of cybercrime and and, and 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 vulnerability exploitation. Like I don't think we've seen. Like we're parabolic right now. I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. We we need yeah. body. You know people talk about like oh I want someone who breathes cybersecurity twenty four seven a day. You know who I'll take someone who comes nine to five and is willing to do their job. <laughs> I will give you a job. I don't have a problem with that. We need you. You know, that's awesome, because I think sometimes people are there's this unrealistic expectation. And it's almost like this profession is such a secret. And when Naomi's on here, she talks about the gatekeepers. Oh, and all yeah. Of that. She, she, she and, knows she knows all the dirty little gatekeeping things. So, yeah. 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 And we, you know, and we see it because our side, Chris and I, you know, we were getting the same types of people coming to us saying, Hey, why can't, why can we not get in? And then on the other side of that, obviously it's so much happening to your point. And then, you know, you have this just big gap where you have people (laughs) masters in cyber and all of that, you know, trying to get in, and then the other side that's telling them you need the experience. Well, how do you get the get the experience if you don't get the um, 
if you don't have the expert, you know, if you don't get the experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a theory on that. And, and this, obviously this is a really complicated issue. So I don't necessarily have like the one silver bullet solution, but I feel like, you know, entry level jobs, um, there's more than enough candidates for that. So we don't have like a skills shortage. Right. We just don't really have that many entry level jobs. We've got a couple to open up like a SOC analyst. Yeah. Whenever I open an entry level job, I get a hundred applicants right. like at, at a minimum. And that's like within a week. Yeah. Um, and, and, and very few of them have any experience and I'm okay with bringing someone in who has the ability to learn. Like, I don't have a problem with that for entry level, but where our shortage is, is our medium to senior level, level. experts. Mm -hmm. We need DFI, DFIR experts. We need forensic evidence experts. We need malware reverse engineers. We need those people. And we yes. don't have the pipeline in front of them to be, you know, bringing people up. So this is like a, this is like the, you know, the last five years we haven't done it right. So we're getting the ramifications of it now. Yeah. Because all the people who should be do, or who should be mentoring these young people to make them ready, they're doing two and three jobs. They're doing, right. you know. So, I, like I said, I think one way, one piece of the puzzle is give these entry level people practical application on things, so we can start handing them things to do and be and be and be, you know, functional and happy to contribute, so that we can you know fight some of these fires in the back end, but also free up some time to mentor, you know. Right. Like if I don't have to do X, Y, and Z, I can spend time raising people up on, you know, I mean, I do this person on my teams. I've, I've made time for that, but I understand right. a lot of teams don't have that luxury. A lot of teams, yeah. they're dealing with thousands of alerts and problems and it's just a floodgate and, and I get it, but something's got to break here. And I think one of the first steps is giving people opportunity to have some practical experience before they even come into their first job. Right. We need to open right. up gates. We need to break down these 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 paywalls on training. All these major vendors, and unless they want people just poking holes in their their free time and their product and showing how vulnerable it is and showing all the exploits they can do, unless they want that to be what's going to happen, what everyone's doing in their free time, we need to give them some quality training that's already there, just sitting there, just not open to them. No, I agree hundred percent. There's some questions that came in here, so um, I think this is Tyrone. He says, hey, Renee and Chris, please elaborate more on where to find or get training for blue team type skills other than SANS, he says. Yeah. <laughs> other than so, um, you know, you know, Ranger Force, uh, Attack IQ, they have some, you know, free and or, you know, some paid stuff. That's really good um, process and, you know, stuff around the MITRE attack. When it comes to like actually using a tool, it's the vendors that have them. So if you want to learn how to deploy CrowdStrike or Sentinel One, or you want to learn how to threat hunt with them. They have that, you know, pretty much behind partner portals. And that's the part I'm talking about that's paywall right now that we need to get in people's hands. It's not there. Where do you think, how can the vendors play a role in this? I mean- They have the it? training, they already have the training made. Right. Literally, they should, right now they're sharing it with vendors who are like professional services that go and deploy their product and provide support right. product. Like the, and, and, they, and, and I understand um, in the old model, like this costs money, security is already a cost center and, and this to, to create this program and these resources, I understand it all costs money. So right. I, I'm, I'm not at all confused why it hasn't been opened up to everyone yet. I'm saying we're reaching like a parabolic shift right now where you either give people trying to get in the industry this training or they're going to go over to the red team where all the tools are free and all the platforms are free and either do it legitimate or illegitimate business yeah. aimed, aimed right at your products. That's what's fascinating to me. It's, it's something you said when you first 
when we first opened up, when you talked about, you know, your intelligence background and that a lot of times, you know, sometimes there are bad people, but there sometimes people are just in bad situations, which, um, you know, I, I, completely agree with you that I think the majority well I don't know but you know just the thought is that the majority of crime is likely that you know how am I feeding my family how do you you know all all the things that people do to survive Mm -hmm. um and so again it goes back to what you just said you have a master's degree you have the student loan debt you have all these things you've been sold into this cybersecurity six-figure career because that's what most of these you know masses programs are selling and then on the other side of it it's just this huge disappointment and it boggles my mind that vendors you know the, the university themselves I mean all of these people aren't thinking that these folks are just going to go on the other side because to your point, we're asking for certifications and masters and experience and this and that. And the other side is just wide open. Hey, come help, come join. And the world's been shut down. What have they had to do? The the internet's the only thing people have been able to do. Why do you think right now there's a new patch for Microsoft or Chrome or Azure every week? Because people have had nothing to do but poke holes on these products. We could have been, we could have taken this year and been like, Hey, you know what? Everyone gets smart. Everyone cross train, figure out a new job. Like that's, those are the things we should have focused on as a society. I, I know it's hard to roll that out and we didn't plan for COVID to happen, but the reality is everyone's been home. They can't just go out. They can't they're, So they're doing things online. People are trying to better their life. And if you close one door, they're going to find another one, you know, and a lot of people have lost their jobs, so they don't even have a choice. They have to find a new skill. It's um, true. So I was listening to a, a talk that Crane Hassel gave, and he was a former FBI profiler who turned to, you know, cybersecurity as well. I think he's the director of uh, threat intelligence at Abnormal Security now. And he, he actually caught a, a Nigerian phishing campaign, like live, and he kind of played with them, like acting like, you know, they kind of had a shot or whatnot via email just to kind of find out what was going on. And at the end, he actually built so much rapport with them that he said, hey, do you mind if I just talk to you about what you were trying to do? And, I, I, you know, he did a whole talk on this, so I'm not trying to steal his thunder, but listening to the talk and listening to Nigerian on the other end, what resonated with me was the, if you listen, if you just were to do a word count, the word survival came up more than anything else. So you could have just been passively listening. You just would have heard da-da-da survival, da-da-da survival. Take a step back and imagine you're in this, you're in a certain situation and you have 10 people, 20 people, 30 people that you can make their lives better if you could do this one thing one time. A million dollars is a life-changing amount of money. A hundred thousand dollars in some places is a, is a life-changing amount of money. And so these are people who who could who are smart enough to do this. They could be doing this for the blue team. If they were given a means to take care of their family in a respectful way, they would jump at that. They don't have that opportunity. So this is what they have. And so when you hear the word survival over and over again, to me, that reminded me of back in my day, the situations in which terrorism is, becomes, you know, a thing when people have no other options and they've got no, you got no job. You're in some sort of weird police state. Things are not going well. Blah, blah, blah. You're looking for how do I get how do I take control of my life again? And, and the recruiters are right there like, hey, I'll give you a purpose in life. You know, maybe we'll even give you some money. And it becomes this very attractive thing. And you can't blame people for that because the situation they're in is dire. 
you know? So, you know, you know, we're in a little bit of a bubble in the tech world. Things are okay. Things are not bad. There are places in the world and in the United States, things are not good right now. And, and, and the one thing we can do in cybersecurity, we don't govern much outside our realm. We can start giving people a way out and they want to do it and we need the help. So it just makes sense. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. So Chris, okay, a couple com- couple more comments. So um, I think Gamachu is the way it's pronounced. Um, says, I couldn't agree more. Working on certifications in grad school is great, but we need more people that are willing to invest their time and mentor. Um, and he is actively applying and coming across reputable companies that are asking two to four years for entry level, wants to know what your take is on that. So it really depends on what you're doing. Um, I feel like if you're a SOC analyst or even an entry-level engineer, you need to be able to take people that don't necessarily have any years of experience, but they have some sort of skill or some sort of ability to learn that says, okay, this is someone I can take and I can give them a task and they can do this you know, successfully. So, um, so I don't think that's necessarily right, but I don't really know what those jobs are. If they're specific jobs with Let's say they want you to be a sim engineer or something like that. That's something you, that takes takes you know six months to maybe a year to get good at that. So like I sort of understand why they, you know, they don't love that. But my point is, is we need to give you the six months ahead of time learning it, so you can come in and say, look, I'm certified to the teeth on Splunk. I you know I have an environment. It's free. You can actually stand up Splunk for free. You can run it in your own you know on anything you mm-hmm. want. But without the certifications and and the kind of the the, the admin guides that they have, it's you really can't really understand what you're doing with it. So we just need to give them the knowledge with the technology. Right. No, I'll, I wholeheartedly agree. And you, we hear so much from people um, in the same situation talking about these entry level roles that are that are asking for two to four years. And we all know some engineers aren't really entry level. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That was a really, yeah, you're right. That was a really bad example for entry. We're talking but, soft. But I know I get what you're yeah. saying. But so for those, I you know, I, if you have so many candidates, you can pick two to four years. Great, but I, I I don't have those sort of limitations on entry level. Entry level, I assume that they have an education, they have some certification, or they have some problem solving skills that we can work with. Right. You no. Know? I mean, that's what entry level is in every other profession. It's it's just bizarre again. <laughs> Every time I talk through this, because I used to, prior to recruiting in tech, well, I've been tech recruiting for 20 years. You talked about cybersecurity five years ago. I've been doing cybersecurity recruiting 10 years now, which is crazy to me. You've seen some drastic changes. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And then um, even before that, looking at, you know, I've always, I've recruited all types of different, well, not all types, but in technology and business. So finance professionals, um, HR professionals, IT professionals, the different types of IT. And this has been the only space for me anyway, where there's this huge, you know, these expectations for entry level people and every other profession, it's like, okay, they have a bachelor, you know, finance accounting so what I, yeah what i think it is is when you see that that what i would take out of that is the person hiring for this job doesn't actually know that skill themselves right so they need to bring in someone who can do it for them which is fine and, which is fine but but if they don't if they don't know how to do it and they don't know how to mentor the person that's not a good situation for the no. for the entry level 
And it's not oh. entry level. That's not, the thing. And, yeah, and, and <laughs> exactly. So that's what they really need. They really need someone to be their SME. Right. You know, and they're trying to be cheap. Like, well, we can only afford entry level. Well, this, this is where you've got two choices. You need to get smart on the product so that if you can bring an entry level and you can mentor, mentor them to that point, or you got to pay a subject matter expert their, the, the, the proper rate. Exactly. And that's, and that's, and that's where we're, that's the trend I'm seeing is when you see that, like, oh, I already want someone who kind of knows it already, but it's entry level. It's because they don't have the talent themselves. They don't have the training themselves. Right. An actual hiring manager doesn't know well enough to, to feel like he can train someone up. And that's, that's again, that failure at kind of that middle senior level where we weren't getting smart on all the things we needed to. We have too many people in, in kind of leadership positions that aren't tech savvy, like tech savvy on their stack. And I think that's a problem, you know, yeah. it requir- it's not a requirement for everyone, but you need to have someone who can be the senior person on all that technology and teach new people. You can't have the brand new person being your subject matter expert. That's not a recipe for success. Right. Right. Absolutely. So Brian is saying here, greetings from St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Brian. Um, so Chris, you talk about the mentors that you've had uh, in the past and how, you know, you've had this very fast rise to, to CISO, you know, up from where you were getting this cert, getting into your foot in the door, then moving up to VP all the way up. So what would you say are some of the um, some of the traits of a great your great mentors and what people should look for when they are looking out and seeking out mentors? And did you seek your people out? Did they just see you and say, wow, this guy's really moving? You know, he's lightning speed. What, how did it work? So it's funny. All of my jobs I haven't applied for. Everyone's found me. Mm-hmm. Again, that's third. Found me one. Um, before that, someone found me for LinkedIn, uh, in my latest job, they found me from LinkedIn. I didn't apply to any of them. I never even filled out an application or anything like that. So it's definitely things where they sought out me. Um, and, and I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that that was my situation because I had kind of, you know, loaded the deck with things that people were looking for. And so that's one thing I want to stress is that people got to do that a little bit. I know not everyone likes LinkedIn, fill it out, get your skills in there, you know, show your worth, show your problem solving skills, like whatever you can do, it's going to help. It'll, if people are coming to you, you got a better shot, but the, but you're right. The quality in a, in a boss that the, the jobs I take are very much related to how good the boss is going to be. And so one thing I look for is a thing called extreme ownership. So when you come onto a team, Jocko. The, yeah, Jocko, exactly. <laughs> you know, you're not, I'm not going to tell you anything you haven't heard before. And, this, and I didn't invent this. This is Jocko Willicks. You know, I, I just bought the book again for the 10th time and I, and I give it away and I, I, I promote it all. So that. awesome. I have yeah. the little kids books too. Oh, I do. Yeah. My my kids. <laughs> so, um, but the point of all that is I look for leaders where if a problem happens, they identify what it is and it's not just all oh, Chris screwed up. It's okay. As a leader, my responsibility was to train Chris, to give Chris the, the, the material he needed, the time he needed, the conditions he needed, like all the things that a leader should have done. And if something goes wrong, he identifies where that was a breakdown because most problems and mistakes should be a, a leadership mistake because there's always something a leader could have done better. And that's the way I've, that's the way I've adopted it. So, you know, if I've got a team of people and, and God knows we've people on my team have made mistakes and there's been outages and stuff and things haven't gone well, I've never said, Hey, Joe screwed up. It's always been like, I didn't give, 
good enough directive on what we need to achieve here. I didn't give them a good enough time to train. We, you know, I had a too close, you know, too tight of a deadline. Um, I didn't do a good QC process. I didn't have even this process in place yet. I didn't do this, this, and this. But this is my plan to fix it. When you start seeing people like that, where you know that they have your back, they're not going to throw you under the bus. They're going to accept the blame, um, not accept the blame, but like you know, really own up to like what the real problem is. That's a place you can thrive. And so I really try and seek out people like that. And this comes down to honesty, you know, you know, honesty. And you can, you know, most people can pick up on that in an interview. Do people really seem like they care? Um, not, not every boss is going to care at the same level as some of the bosses I've had. But if I see the boss that cares, like I said, Jordan, uh, um, when I interviewed, after my interview with him was when I knew I wanted the job. So I literally said, offer me one dollar $1 more than I'm making right now. And I'll tell you right now. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to play games. I'm not going to negotiate. I'm not going to try. I just, I just want to be on this team. What did, this he, what did he, just, he say to you in the interview that, that made you feel that way? He talked about like, look, we're not going to do politics. We're going to, you know, if there's an issue, go to someone who can fix it. Go, go talk about it. Go figure it out. We're not going to talk behind people's backs about this, that, or the other thing. He talked about from a technical, he said, don't, don't fail in a silo. So you're having a problem. And, and you're told to do something, don't feel like you have to do it on your own. And then at five o'clock when it's not done, everyone's and everything falls down. If you feel like it's not going to happen, come bring me in. Let's, let's bring everyone. Let's pick the whole ship down with us. We'll bring in the CEO if we need to, you know, because he was a genius too. So like th just the things were resonating with me, like what they wanted was success, mutual success for everyone. It wasn't like a, I need you to succeed so I can get promoted thing for Jordan. It was very much a, hey, my success is based on you being successful. So if you need something, ask, because I will give it to you. I'll bring in resources. I'll give time. If you need to throw money at it, if you need to throw bodies at it for a minute, wherever it is, just, you know, let me know early enough so we can plan for it. And, and that really resonated with me among a bunch of other things I don't remember at the time, but it just made such an impression on me. I said, I want to be part of this org. And I stayed there for four years. And like I said, they invested a lot of time and money in me and it really made my career. So I owe them the world. And it was really bittersweet when I had to leave because I had this opportunity to be a head of security. But it, not everyone can find those orgs, but those are the orgs that I feel like will, will do the, the most for you. Um, was it a small, small org? Small, yeah, startup. I was like employee 40 something and by... Okay. Now it's like 200 and something, you know, a lot of growth. I mean, it's, it's not by any means, a, you know, a nobody company They're you know, they're doing some good things over there, but, you know, try and seek out those situations. You know, you're, I would rather have a good boss than a dream job at a company where my boss is just doesn't care. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So, <laughs> any so day of the week. So when you go in your interviews, ask your boss some questions, not about themselves personally, but just ask about like the program. Like, why don't you have people? You know, my job is some, did someone leave? Is it, is it growth? Yeah. If you're coming in and your job is growth, that's a good sign. If they're adding bodies, that's a good sign. If everyone left, I don't want to say that you need to leave, but you need to ask yourself a question. Why? You know, and, and maybe you should ask the, the hiring and manager. Ask them too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> They'll respect you for asking questions. And if yeah. they don't, then you, you, they don't deserve your work anyway. Right. <laughs> No, I think it's very, it's so important to ask, uh, ask why, why is the position open? That's always a good kind of yeah. starter question. And then to your point, Chris, if they say growth, great. And if they say, you know, turnover, then you want to know why the other person left. And granted, they could give you a canned answer, but at least you did some due diligence along with maybe glass door and other things to see what kind of environment you're walking into. Exactly. 
for sure. 100%. So, um, okay, so you had these mentors. So did so all of your mentors were your former or were people who employed you, most of them? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. I would say some of my mentors were even people who worked for me. You know, um, like, I, you know, I, I felt like I needed to know everything about what we were doing. Um, and I would, you know, if like I didn't and I had someone who was a subject matter expert, I would be in there, you know, I'd be asking questions. I would be really listening to when they're explaining the problems. I would get into the technology. And so there was a couple, you know, there are some technical experts out there that never go into management, but they've been around for 20, 40 years and they just... Mm-hmm. They're old syslog guys. Yeah, you know, they just they just want to build stuff in the back corner. Those guys have a wealth of knowledge. And so I listen to those guys and I, I hear them out and they build amazing things and surprise people. But you have to create an environment for them to succeed and understand how their mind works and everything. And so I would say some of my mentors were even people who, who I worked for at, at periods because my skill was, you know, putting things together a little bit more. I, I am technical. I'm not saying I'm not, but like I had these other interpersonal skills that put me in a leadership position. Mm-hmm. Um and it was more of this, like, how can I support this? How can I get it? You know, I look at it as like, um, everyone has very different personalities in tech. It's like very kind of like artistic in a little bit way. We've got high IQs, maybe not the, the best emotional intelligence, but it's a mixed bag. Right. So getting everyone on the same page is a skill in its own. And getting everyone to work together and, and keep the drama down and keep people focused and, and happy. That's like a whole skill in itself that... If you let that go, you get toxic environments, you get people who don't want to work with each other, people who sabotage each other, and that just hurts everyone. So you really got to like spend time investing on understanding when people aren't happy with perception of this or, or treatment of this and, and equality. And you have to spend time on that for the team's sake, you know, if you, you know, otherwise your team's going to fail and you as a team leader are going to fail. Right. What was your experience like coming out of, um, the military, because we talk to so many transitioning veterans, a lot of people who watch our show and participate, um, typically, or not, I won't, I, I won't say all, but a, a lot have a military background, retired veterans, things like that. So what was it like for you So you made the transition? So, yeah, so I had spent quite a bit of time overseas, but I was lucky not to really have um, any sort of like... PTSD or kind of situations that made it more stressful during the transition. So I, you know, I just luckily, I think, I know that just luckily wasn't someone that, 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 that kind of, you know, was able to grab hold of. So the transition wasn't so bad, but what I did notice is I immediately came back was, is like, you know, I come back to the States and everyone has all these, you know, first world problems. And I'm thinking like, guys, relax, no one's shooting at us. This is going to be fine. And and, and no one was thinking like that. They're very in their moment. Their problems are very real, very tangible, very, but I'm like, guys, like, listen, like, it's going to be okay. And, and that reassurance, the fact I wouldn't get like rattled would like just bring everyone down a little bit and be like, okay, it's going to be fine. Chris is here. It's going to be good. We have an outage. You know what? It's going to be okay. I'm going to get, Chris is going to get yelled at, but no one's going to lose their job. No one's going to die. It's going to be fine. We're just going to work through it, solve the problem. We'll figure out what happened later. And and it, it allowed me, it, it actually, that experience and that heightened stress and coming into like such a lower stress environment, <laughs> I think allowed me to do better, to be honest, because I always had that mentality of like, look, this is going to be okay. This is not a real problem. This is an annoyance. This isn't great. This isn't a happy feeling, but like, this is not a huge problem. We can work through this. Don't even worry. And, and, but I had to be very 
sensitive to, you know, that's not the perception that most people are living in. Everyone's, everyone's worried about their job, their income, their reputation, all these things. That's, those are real tangible concerns. Um, but they overworry to a degree. And sometimes it is a little bit unproportional to the amount of worry you know, they put into it. So being able to kind of calm them down and put things into perspective, I found my team was able to kind of go out on limbs that they normally were less more concerned about. Like, well, I don't really want to put myself out there because this could come back to burn me. But once you know, like, no, there's this, this like, you know, someone's got your back, you know, no one's going to, you know, turn their back on you. We've got you go ahead, reach out, try and, you know, try and step up a level, you know, um, if you want to go work for someone else, you know, I'm not going to like, you know, turn my back on you. I'm going to give you a good, I'm going to give you a good recommendation. I'm going to call them up and tell them how awesome you are. Like, you know, just, you know, it's just one of those things where when you give people that and they can relax about the little things, they'll perform at a much higher level. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. It's so, it's funny. My mom always says she's a retired nurse and Anytime something, if I get a little bit riled up, I remember her saying, she's like, it's not life or death. It's not life or death. <laughs> you know. My mom was a police chief. And so, I mean, I kind of grew up with that even before the military of like, you know, seeing what bad is and all this right. other stuff, like, isn't that bad? <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> it's really not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's okay to be sympathetic to it. You know, I, I don't want to yeah. be like, ah, you're blowing out. You know, I don't, I don't do that. But being able to like talk through it with people and be like, Hey, you know what? This is going to be okay. And, 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 and they see it in my eyes and they know, like, look, I firmly believe this is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And it helps them kind of relax a little bit. Kind of calm down. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's all, that's all perspective. Yeah. So, you know, your mom has seen, you know, you grew up with her. She saw people, she yep. saw the worst. Yep. My mom saw people, you know, show up in a, in a surgery and not come out, you know? So yeah. that's oh, yeah. when it's all, it's all a level of perspective. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And, uh, and so, you know, that transition is not easy for everyone. For me, I feel like it, it worked, it worked well, but that's, mm-hmm. that's not the norm. I know that's yeah. not the norm. Now, when you transitioned, were you, were you able to get uh, an opportunity relatively quickly? Did it take you a long time? Because we've had people who it's taking them months, it's taking a really long time and you can tell how, um, dejected people get after a while you keep applying you keep interviewing and then you're not getting anything you're not getting a positive response and um it's just it's 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 hard so um so when i transitioned i started going through the masters i was working in uh, i took a job with at&t to just uh install networks Mm -hmm. because i thought like you know like this requires no skill like it was, it was one of the most humiliating jobs I've ever had in my entire life, but I, I learned a lot. So like, I just did it. I'm like, while I'm going, while I'm learning about cybersecurity, let me learn about networks and connectivity and attenuation. I can make my own cat five cable. Now I can troubleshoot, you know, layer two stuff. So it taught me a lot. Um, and so that normally would have been a period where someone else was probably like, you know, trying to get to something and couldn't, I was, you know, probably overqualified for that job, but I just took it. It was like $18 an hour. It was like a really not super great job. I was in Chicago at the time. Uh, I was in some, you know, really not so safe environments. And I was like, what, well, you know, this is just part of my process. I'm going to school. I'm, I'm working on these things. After I was done with school, um, it wasn't real long before um, I got an opportunity. I, I, it was, it was less than six months, maybe four months. Um, and so, not drawn out like some people, but, you know, at the time it felt like forever, you know, 
And, you know, I did what everyone else did. I I'd put in like a hundred applications and applied to everything. Like I said, you know, before that I, someone eventually found me, you know, based mm -hmm. off of what I had been building on LinkedIn at that point. And, and, right. you know, but, uh, but yeah, I went through all the heartache of, you know, going to interviews and this, that and networking and yeah. doing labs at night and trying to just get smart on stuff. And, right. but not as bad as some people had it, to be honest. Um, yeah. so like maybe four to six months was like the, the real transition time between, you know, like I, you know, it was like, I did a, I did that prem tech technician job for like maybe a year or whatever. So while I was going to school. So if you incorporate that, you know, it was about 18 months total, but. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Brian has a question here. He wants to know, he works at a boot camp in St. Louis. What are the best ways to connect his students to companies that are currently looking for um, entry-level cyber analysts. I'm assuming that's what EL stands for. Yeah, I would assume so too. Um, uh, so if we're talking about getting them with the actual companies, um, I mean, in St. Louis, I would, uh, I would look into some of the bigger organizations where I have headquarters there and start with them. Those are going to have the most bodies. You know, they're the ones going to have socks. Uh, analyst is pretty specific to an organization with SOC. Most organizations right. don't actually have a SOC. So the ones that do are the big ones. So you're going to reach out to anyone that has a corporate headquarters there. They're typically going to have a SOC somewhere too. And that's one way, that's one where I'd start. Um, it's not easy. There's no roadmap for that because sometimes even if their headquarters there, their SOC is in India. Right. <laughs> I was just going to say, I don't know. We were talking about this. We've been talking about this on the podcast that SOC analysts might not be the new, the entry level anymore because so many socks are yeah. elsewhere. So it's just like how, you know, what other ways can people. It's a good um, stepping stone if you can get it. If you um, can get it. Yeah. You, yeah. And, and that's a good way. You'll, you'll learn a lot. You'll get, you'll get exposure to the training at that point to some degree. So, so it is a good stepping stone, but you're right. Um, I was looking at statistics. It's like out of the, I don't know, 35 million companies there are less than 2000 of socks. And of those 2000, I don't even know how many of them are even in the United States. Right. So, so with this, you know, we're telecommuting now and we're a digital world. There'll be a little bit more of that. Now I will say, I don't think there's, I mean, a lot of companies did that and they retracted it because they weren't getting a, a good uh, service out of it. Not because there's anything wrong with the Indians or the thing, but there's the communication and time gap that wasn't working out great. So I know some companies have tried it and then kind of have gone back on it. So I don't know. It's going to be like a ton of growth that way, but yeah, sock entry level sock thing. If you can get it, is good. Um, engineer, I, I recommend if you can get that route. It's a little bit better. It's a little bit more wide open. But but again, it's equally hard. Um, the job fairs, reaching out to you know the public relations of the big companies. Honestly, I don't have you know really good roadmaps for that piece. Um, but I, I think everyone individually really needs to start presenting their skills in a way where people can find them. Cause when people find you, you kind of have a little bit more leverage. And I, and I know it yeah. sounds hard when you're entry level, but what they're looking for is people who can have problem solving skills. Right. So let's say you can't necessarily build a lab at night. You can't do all this technical stuff, figure out prop times where you solve problems and make sure you're ready to talk about that. When you have an interview, talk Absolutely. about a time where you, there was this thing that was, this repeatable problem that your company faced. And you said, you know what? I'm tired of this. Everyone's spending two hours a day on this stupid thing. I fixed it. I did this other thing. We had this other process. So I just said, that's the dumb way. Let's do it the easier way. And you, and you did that. 
if you have that problem solving skill, someone that's going to perk someone's ear and think that's the type of person that I want working for me because that's the type of person that, that helps, you know, avoid mistakes and, you know, helps us get more efficient and whatnot. So it doesn't always have to be technical. Yeah, that's an, that's such a good point that every job does not have to be technical. It can be, and Naomi talks about this. Naomi talks about this all the time about bringing people in from, um, you know, from other areas. Every role isn't technical. I mean, I talk about it too. And getting in, sometimes you have to pivot and get in a different way in a different role first and then kind of come around to cyber. Um, but I wanted to add to your points uh, for Brian is to try to get companies to partner with the boot camp. Yeah. So they have some boot camps that are really great about having corporate partnerships so that their students are automatically, you know, the, the corporate, the corporations are a part of the, the boot camp, the development, all of that. And then you feed people into their programs. So when they have something, they have a new opening or somebody rotates out or they have um, opportunities, they kind of, the boot camp is the first place that they go. So doing something like that where you can partner with organizations would be great. And maybe even some of those vendors that you were talking about. Um, yeah, I think we need to, I think we do need to get them in the fold. I mean, I'm 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 trying to do things. I'm I'm not a necessarily a real loud, upfront, you know, out out in the open person with all this. But I'm I'm trying to talk with many people. I kind of about hey, how do we open this door? How do we get this to people who need it? You know? Yeah. And I, I do think I mean obviously the boot camps if they have a curriculum that's tried and true and and someone who knows what they're going to get out of that, um, that helps hiring managers understand you know where that kind of is coming from so that, yeah, that, it, it, you know, take some of the guesswork out of it. It's like being vouched for already a little bit. So it's really exactly. Exciting. But if you're able to combine that boot camp with, let's say you bring, let's say you, you talk some sponsor into it. It doesn't have to be all of them. Like one, like it, you know, reach out to Google, reach out to Microsoft. They're supposed to be giving stuff. They, they got yelled at by Joe Biden. He's, they're supposed to be giving away training. So like call them on it, you know, <laughs> say, Hey, you're supposed to be training people. Like, really? here's people you do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, they brought him all to the White House and he said, what are you going to do for cybersecurity? They're like, they're like, we're going to give a training. We're like, okay, good. So so call them on it. Be like, hey, where are the programs? How do we get involved in that? How do, you know, Microsoft, Google, AWS, call them on it. And, yeah. uh, and, and one cert there, security cert, architecture cert, that goes a really long way in the industry. And people are intimidated by it. But if we can give them the training and walk them through it and, and get them to speed on it, it's going to open a lot of doors. And it's... Uh, you know, we just got to help people with the intimidation factor. Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't know that um, the Biden administration did that. That's pretty funny. Yeah, they um, called they called all the, the heads of tech over the White House and said, what are you guys going to do to help out the cybersecurity problem? Good. And then there was a press release where they're going to give away this training and this product and this and whatnot. So right. start asking for it. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. And another thing I wanted to add, Chris, to 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 answer Brian or to piggyback off of what you just said, I do a a a, um, a break it into cybersecurity with an organizational call, an organization called Federal Career Connections, mm-hmm. and I've seen a lot of opportunity on the government side, on the federal side, where I don't think, you know, they're more, they seem to be more focused on the certifications versus actual heavy duty experience. So Mm -hmm. the person who talks about, I think it was Gamma who talked about two to four years of experience, you know, in these other places, 
the federal government roles, there are a significant amount of roles that are under that will, you know, they'll just ask you for certifications and maybe like one year of experience or some or a degree or what have you. So they're more in line with what I had seen early in my career when I was doing stuff like campus, you know, a lot of campus recruiting and things like that, where you didn't expect a person to have all of this additional knowledge, certification, you know, all these various things. So they seem to be more in line with that. Like if you either have a degree, have a master's, have a cert, you know, they're not asking for years and years of experience. And the other great point to what, to add to what you're saying is that they also get a lot of resources that I'm talking about for free from these organizations right. to the government. So then once you're in the door, you know, you get to, you get access to all these level training and you just got to take advantage of that point. But yeah, public service is a great doorway in, um, mm-hmm. it's not for everyone, but if you, if you, if it, if it works for you, um, you know, they, they pay a little bit less than the, in the private sector, but they have resources, uh, that will help you become more marketable once, you know, you've, you've done a little bit of time and then you yeah. can hit the market with a bunch of certs and the experience and your degree now, you know, for some people, it is a really good situation and some people fall in love with public service, you know, right. I mean, it's, it's a calling for some people and, and, you know, explore that maybe that's right for you. Absolutely. And, and another thing, Chris, a lot of, some of these roles are not that, um, you know, the pay scale is not that low. So no, no. I initially, yeah, yeah, I initially thought, or you know what? I think a few years ago it was much lower. So it's it's lower compared to the private industry, but these are still high salaries compared to other fields, and that's the part we got to caveat all with. Is right. Everyone's like, oh, the you know the government doesn't pay a lot for this. This is still good money, you know. This is not, right. you know, it's just. And these, to, yeah. And some of the roles that I've seen, and I haven't seen the entry ones recently, but some of the more seasoned ones they're kind of aligned. They're not that far off. Mm-hmm. Um, I know years ago they were, but I know that they've been focused on um, increasing like salary amounts. So I thought like I saw a role the other day and it ranged in the, in their, all their stuff is public. So this was yeah. like public. So it says something like 144 to 175 and it was for a lead. And I was like, Oh, that's in line with what a lead would, you know, what a lead would get now. Obviously, sometimes in the um, the contracting space is a little bit different, but an actual like federal government situation, some of those roles are very much aligned to corporate. So, yeah, um, that folks should definitely be looking into it. I agree, and and those are ones where you don't necessarily see them on like you're not going to see them on LinkedIn. You're not right. going to see them on Indeed. You have to go to like USA.gov and those places. Yep. And yeah. they're not well advertised. So I think people may be just not looking there too. And, right. and, they're, and they're a little bit intermixed with stuff with clearances. So people get in. Exactly. And take some and time. Pe- take some time and dig through there. there. It's just, it, they don't have the money to really market that they need the, the help. But there's gold nuggets in there. Go go look. Definitely. That's a great, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't even thought of that one myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I again, I this, that's not really my area of expertise. But I'm learning more and more through the folks at Federal Career Connection. Because they've been helped, they help people either get into federal government opportunities and or get promotions in federal in the federal government. And so some of the roles that I've been seeing, I'm like, wow, this is these are in line. Like this is not far off or pretty much in line with what I've seen in um, in some corporations. And and honestly, people respect the government organizations, whether yes, you like them 
the, or, you know, the administration or not, no one's going to say, oh, you worked at the Ministry of Transportation. That's about, no, they'd be like, okay, let's well, a organization that functions like a Fortune 500 company. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's good experience. Exactly. And once you get in and it's because the whole thing is getting folks in. Yes, exactly. I think that's where we all are, like breaking into cyber. How do you get in? Get them in the door. Yeah, exactly. Get in the door. Stay in there for either if you love it, stay a, a, a long time. Once you're in the door, the offers start coming. You get the experience. It's just like that's where that's where all the glamour and all the, the, the right. great stuff we're talking about. That's where it is. But we need to get you in the door. And I, I want to help. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. So Jeremy Swenson says, hi, all great comments so far. Um and Brian thanks us for all of our invaluable input. You are welcome, Brian. Hopefully that boot camp goes well. Um, so Chris, we are pretty much at the top of the hour. I wanted to thank you so much for being here with me today, for being my soul CISO today, which has been fun. I've yeah. learned a ton about you and your experience and, you know, the, the, the points that you've made have been invaluable, I know, for the audience. Are there any final words of wisdom that you'd like to share before we wrap? Uh, I don't think I have anything left. I think I used it all up. But uh, no, <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, I, I think I'm hopeful that there's going to be a couple shifts as the industry sees that we need to make some fundamental changes in order to to, to, to kind of get back where we need to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I am hopeful. I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of people talk about this. This is I, nothing I'm saying is unique to me by any means. A lot of people know this problem. I've happened to be a little bit more vocal lately in a couple of instances, but I know a lot of people that feel the same way. So we're in your corner. We're trying to work on this. We're trying to fix it all. Uh, but call us out, let us know where it's not working so we can, we can try and fix it. Okay, awesome. Zoe says, come back to the show, Mr. Russell. So that's your invitation. When the audience asks, we deliver. That's how we ended up with CISO Thursdays. The audience okay. said, oh, we want we want more people on Thursdays. CISO yeah, who doesn't Thursday. want to talk to hear about from Naomi every week, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So thank you again, Chris. I really, really appreciate it. Everyone else, thank you so much for being an awesome audience and for being here asking amazing questions um, and just being part of our CISO Thursdays. So we will see you again next week. I believe Chris has something going on tomorrow at 1 p.m. Um, James always has his daily CISO talk. So with the news, you definitely want to chime in or uh, tune in and get that. And then uh, Naomi puts her hot takes out there. So we're all you know, contributing to this fun world of LinkedIn and YouTube and uh, cyber madness. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>